Thanks for joining me for part two of the coaching podcast. It's really appreciated. So as you're aware, we're going to explore the theme of contracting in coaching. What's it even mean and why bother? Well, if you're looking for meaningful and impactful results from the services that you're going to be offering, be you an internal coach, as in you're going to coach people in the business that you work for, or you're a coach who works for yourself, getting this early stage right is going to be essential. And that's because unless you're up for misunderstandings and misaligned expectations, and those that you're working with are too, then clearly getting this part of the coaching relationship right is going to be a vital step. In fact, I'd go as far as to say contracting is the linchpin of coaching. Get it right, and it's going to go a long way in ensuring everyone is on the same page right from the outset. Of course, it's not all about the relationship you're building with your coachee. There's potentially going to be other interested parties, especially if you're coaching someone within a professional environment. So we're talking secondary stakeholders, those with a vested interest in the success of this intervention or simply who require a level of awareness. So as an example, the coach's line manager and or perhaps the HR director, among others. But I will expand upon this in detail a little later on. In addition, there's a number of other important, albeit more subtle factors that combined are going to play a role in how you are potentially going to be perceived, which in turn will impact upon your level of influence. So it's fair to say there's going to be a fair bit to explore here. And finally, just as I did with the last coaching podcast, I figured I'd add a coaching dimension to this one too, just to get you thinking. Okay, so let's get into this. As I'm sure you've realised, I'm all about keeping things as real as possible. So I'm thinking a helpful place to start is to approach this by pretending for a moment you're someone who is to be coached, as in you're meeting a coach for the first time. So let's create a scenario. Let's pretend then you've maybe been recognised as top talent within your organisation and you've had a coach nominated to you as part of succession planning. Or perhaps you've found a coach on the internet. Or maybe you've been recommended to someone who's coached someone that you know and now you're meeting them for the first time. So there you are, let's say in a hotel lounge waiting to meet this person, your potential future coach. And let's not kid ourselves, you may well have done what many of us do and prior to this meeting engaged in a little social media stalking. Now I mean this in the most professional sense, you've been online and done a little research on who this person is and perhaps what they've achieved, their experience and expertise. What's likely to be going through your mind in this moment? Think about it. Curiosity, as in What's this coach like? What's their style and approach going to be? You may be thinking, how might the process unfold? There could also be some apprehension. After all, assuming this initial meet goes well, there's a strong chance you'll be opening up and sharing both personal and professional challenges. So there's a, a level of nervousness, which could be totally understandable. And let's not forget the positives. How about hopefulness? The very fact that you are here, open and ready to start the process, suggests there's some readiness, at the very least, for change. But of course, there could also be uncertainty. Maybe you've been having thoughts along the lines of, oh, is coaching really for me? Or what, what am I going to have to talk about and share? So there may also be a sense of vulnerability. Opening up to others isn't easy for all of us. 
So concerns around how much you're going to be expected to go into and in turn concerns perhaps around what might the coach think of me if I have to share my feelings on this, that or the other. There may also be nervousness around compatibility. Will the two of you even get on and what do I do if we don't? Or it could be this has simply become all too real now and you're anxious as to whether you are ready to be coached or even capable of making any changes. So to answer this, let's flip this scenario on its head and pretend for a moment that the coach that's about to turn up in our made up story here is you. You're the one who is about to contract with the person we've just been describing. What will your approach be? Knowing what you know now with regards to what might be going through others' minds, how will you go about building rapport, building trust and putting their mind at rest? While also, of course, ensuring that your approach is professional and structured. Oh, oh, and by the way, this might help. Here's something that I keep in mind in any professional interaction that I have with another person, especially when I'm meeting them for the first time and there's some form of business transaction taking place, for example, providing services as a coach. So from a psychological perspective, what's typically going through another person's mind in these types of circumstances is, do I like you? Can I trust you? Do you care about me? And can I work with you? Basically, I use this to inform my approach every single time. Now, what I'm about to share probably won't come as much of a surprise. The thing is, while what you ask at this stage is of great importance, how you go about doing this, as in your approach to this interaction, that's the thing that can really make the difference because what you're really doing here is the start of the trust building process. So before I go on, it's probably worth just quickly covering what trust consists of. So trust will build for the other person through them seeing you as a professional. What's that mean exactly? Well, I suppose you could use language along the lines of competent, credible and consistent. Also, being reliable. So doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. For example, that you turned up on time for this contracting meeting and that you work hard to ensure that they can begin to feel safe sharing information with you. So what's that all going to look like in practice? Clearly, an empathetic and understanding approach is going to be crucial. So that's listening to the coach's concerns and recognising that the process might be new or daunting for them. A great book, by the way, that's going to support in this, and I'd highly recommend it, is by Chris Voss. It's called Never Split the Difference, and he's actually got a TED Talk of the same name. The book itself actually explores the building of empathy in detail. It's an absolutely awesome read. It's got numerous real-life examples from his experience as the FBI's lead hostage negotiator. And as I'm sure you'll appreciate, building a rapport and empathising in those types of situations probably doesn't get tougher. The whole book is literally filled with fascinating stories and many are completely relatable to day-to-day life in business too, surprisingly. So um, yeah, if you're interested in that, go purchase it. You won't regret it. So what else are you going to need to do as part of this contracting meeting? Well, ensure you provide high levels of clarity and transparency. So that's the outlining of the process itself. Reassurance around confidentiality and expectations linked to roles and responsibilities. The who will be responsible for what and when as part of your interactions in the future. 
For example, as coach, you might commit to introducing tried and tested models to support the coach's journey. The coachee will commit to approaching the models with an open mind and actively put them to the test. Which leads us nicely onto looking at some questions that will create discussion points and things to agree upon. Now, what I'm offering here isn't prescriptive. It's simply guidance. They're questions that I've used and they've worked for me, but obviously come up with your own too. And what I'll do is I'll zip through these quickly. You can always hit pause any time to write some of these down. When, where and how often are you going to meet? How long will each session last? Are there going to be any limitations? What if cancellation of the session is necessary by either party? What's the agreed upon actions? Will there be contact between sessions? And if yes, what medium? Phone, text, email? At this stage, from a broad perspective, what's the desired outcome of the coaching? Are there going to be any off-limit subjects? So confidentiality or NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Highlight the importance of mutual commitment and active participation in the coaching process. Agree upon how best to review the progress being made. What's going to work in terms of the interaction? Formal? Informal? And what if either party feels it necessary to terminate the process? What might get in the way of the process being a success? And if so, how might this be overcome? Is there anything to learn from the coachee? As in, have they been coached before? Were there positives or negatives experienced? What needs to be agreed upon should issues or concerns materialise during the coaching journey? Now, at the risk of sounding like I'm preaching, definitely don't go showing up without the ability to take notes. Even though it's ridiculously basic, appearing organised is highly influential. Think about it. How much would you want a coach that you're working with to be utterly (laughs) disorganised? It ain't a great look. So obviously don't be that person. Actually, just a quick one on note-taking. At the time of recording, there's no legislation that prescribes that records have to be made or in what form that they're kept. Obviously, anything that identifies a coachee by name will fall under the Data Protection Act. But why even bother? What's the, what's the actual purpose of record-keeping? Well, aside from it being obviously best practice, what are the benefits to you as coach? Here's some real-life examples from my own experience. You'll find it's a great support tool from a continuity perspective. What I mean is it can be helpful when it comes to assessing, planning or evaluating the progress that's been made. Your notes can also support validation as to whether or not a coaching model that you've shared worked or didn't work, which can then inform you as to whether or not it's worth continuing with a course of action or shift your approach and try something new. And when it comes to actually making notes, as in you're physically writing or typing information up during or immediately after a coaching session, I'd recommend the following as best practice. Ensure that your notes are clear, complete, up-to-date, relevant and objective, basically an accurate reflection of the conversation and progress to date. And if you're thinking, hold on a minute, Tom, you know, I need a template for this. Well, I'd recommend you just go type into Google coaching note-taking template. You'll be gifted with plenty to choose from, I promise. My final thoughts on this are when and how to make notes will be down to personal preference. 
Ultimately, of course, the goal is to ensure that essential information is going to be accurately recorded to support the process and the coach's progress. Actually, while we're here, let's expand upon the asking of questions, because if you're a coach operating within a business or it's your intention to provide coaching within a professional environment as a service, there'll be other stakeholders who'll have a vested interest in the success of the intervention, as I mentioned earlier. So you're going to need to contract with them too. So what do I recommend here from a questioning perspective? Well, tell you what I'll do. I'll share what's worked for me, but again, come up with your own too. So uh, agree what success will look like. Ensure confidentiality is fully understood and agreed. For example, what if the line manager asks to see your notes? So probably worth just spending a few moments on this. What is best practice here? Well, in simple terms, maintaining confidentiality while ensuring transparency is key. So discussing the coaching process in broad terms, so highlighting the goals that have been set and progress being made and any areas of development without divulging specific details or discussions, from my perspective, that's all good. Plus, I don't actually see an issue in emphasising the coach's commitment and growth without breaching their privacy. But I'd also recommend clarifying this approach with the coachee beforehand, just to ensure uh, their comfort and alignment in how you're proposing to handle such inquiries. Okay, let's get back to the questions I was talking through earlier. So identify uh, any operational or resource factors that may impact upon the intervention and then agree on how to deal with them should they arise. How will feedback, review and evaluation of progress be given and what are the benchmarks and measures? Agree on actions should unexpected circumstances arise. And what if any timescales are there that may impact upon the coaching? Questions linked to business objectives and how the coachee's personal development contributes to the larger organisational goals could also be worth exploring. And totally dependent upon your situation, questions linked to culture, business change and future initiatives may also be important to better understand. All right, so I suppose we could call what's been covered so far as part of this podcast best practice. So let's now change lanes. And I'm pretty sure that I've used this phrase in the last podcast. Coaching is a people-centric profession demanding high levels of ethical standards. So a question. Where are your ethical standards when it comes to coaching? What is right and wrong for you? Why do I ask? Well, how about this? Do you consider hawking your recently created podcasts or lessons as part of the contracting process? appropriate. I mean, after all, the person you're working with, well, they're going to need all the guidance and support they can get. So why not cash in at the same time? And who's going to care if you embellish a little on your experience and expertise as coach? After all, who's ever going to know that you didn't really obtain that coaching qualification all those years ago? In fact, it's probably worth just name dropping a few people you've worked with, regardless as to whether or not it's true. And definitely don't forget to Highlight the phenomenal success all of those people that you've coached, experienced, which of course guarantees that the person you're now working with, well, they'll 100% experience the same too. No question. And so what if you're coaching someone's son at work and now you've been asked to coach another family member who's related to them? 
I mean, you know, the more the merrier, right? At least it means you'll be getting the hours in and experiencing. <laughs> I am. Yes, I'm being super sarcastic. But you know what? These are genuine examples. C- kind of scary, right? Thing is, because the coaching profession is unregulated, for some, they see coaching as a money-making scheme with zero or very little interest in the experience for the coachee. Why do you think that across social media, you have so many people selling coaching courses or promoting get-rich schemes by becoming a coach? Sadly, not all those who are entering the coaching world necessarily have a working moral compass. But there's other ethical areas too that are worth having on your radar. What if you're coaching within your organisation and become privy to information you wouldn't otherwise have known? How easy will that be for you to keep to yourself? And how are you in regards to awareness of your biases? Now, I am going to cover this theme in much greater detail as part of the next podcast, but here's why this is important. Let's imagine you get to ask to coach someone who's got a bit of a reputation within your workplace. How likely is it that this knowledge could cloud your judgment? And what if you found yourself in a situation where you're coaching someone who really wears their heart on their sleeve? So they're someone who openly displays their emotions. And because of this, they very quickly begin sharing information that feels way beyond your role as coach and kind of enters that grey area between coaching and therapy. How would you handle it? Knowing your own limits as coach is vital. And I'd recommend in a situation like this, be open. Make it clear that you feel the conversation is now exceeding your levels of expertise and go recommend a professional in that field or support the person by pointing them towards any support functions that you are aware of. It's obviously an important theme. And for more information, go check out the European Mentoring and Coaching Code of Ethics and you'll you'll find that on Google. Now, we're almost there for this podcast, but here's just a few random points worth sharing because I often get asked these, so I figured they'd be worth just being aware of. So the key difference between being an internal coach for the place that you work and privately coaching individuals lies in the initial focus. Being an internal coach often, but not always, involves integrating the coachee's goals with the business goals, while coaching people directly prioritises personal aspirations and challenges. You may also find as part of this contracting process that at times you'll come across individuals who don't want to be coached or are a little sceptical and they're there meeting you because they've been told that they need coaching. So in this situation, I'd recommend that you listen to their concerns and just be cautious around making assumptions. There could be any number of reasons. Uh, Fear, the process itself, previous bad experience. Just keep exploring so you can tailor your approach. And that may look like highlighting the benefits, which could be improvement to their skill sets or greater performance or that they're going to gain personal and professional growth. It is worth remembering, however, while you can encourage someone, ultimately they are going to have to choose to engage. And finally, What we've been exploring is contracting, that first meeting to establish rapport, discuss expectations and understand one another's perspectives. While some coaching might occur during this initial meeting, its primary focus is on setting the foundation for the coaching relationship. 
I found agreement on a follow-up session to delve deeper into specific issues, create a plan and then initiate the coaching process works best. But do what works for you and those that you're working with. For me, waiting till next time allows you both to prepare and then come ready to engage at a deeper level. I would highly recommend this book from Michael Bungay-Stanier. It's titled The Coaching Habit and it's sold close to a million copies. Definitely worth a read. And he's got a specific podcast that you'll find on all the normal uh, platforms that explores this very theme. It's called How to Build Better Relationships. So that's it for this podcast. (laughs) Here comes the shameless self-promotion bit. You'll find short form videos on everything that I've covered here on my YouTube channel or TikTok. Just type in my name, Tom Dunman. You'll also find lessons on my website, tomdunman.com or the learning platform, Udemy. Uh, That's U-D-E-M-Y dot com. Once again, Thanks so much for your time. I trust you felt listening to this has been of value. Please forward it to anyone that you feel may benefit from the content. And in the next coaching podcast, we'll be exploring how to coach. So themes linked to goal setting strategies, questions to ask and the handling of challenges. I'll see you there.